1: tingling nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics, and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio.
0: without having to break the bank inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap check out the show notes to find more about glary 20 watt amplifiers for under 50 dollars hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 guitars themselves for under 90 dollars come on folks check out the show notes get a glary you're listening to kzom only on public radio I, D.E. Spitzer, in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits. Like the dreamlands, or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian-leaning. Once more, we head to those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer. I know you're probably tired of hearing that from the intros and all the commercials, but hey, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and right with me is Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how the heck are you doing this week?
2: I am the heck doing well.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. So, we're going to be talking about Bachrug and the Book of Ibon this week. Uh, the
2: Which is my name of my new progressive jazz band. Ooh, Bachrug.
0: In the Book of Ibon. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bokrug in the Book of Ibon. Uh You are talking to a fantasy LARPer who LARPs with um, Cthuloid elements, uh, I understand.
2: Yeah, so his name is Philip Lyman.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: And I have to admit, he's taken his fantasy a step higher or his role-playing a step higher than yeah. I have. cool. Out of, you know, the the living room and the kitchen and into uh, parks and uh, into forests and uh, camping and uh, got some really good interesting stories.
0: Well, I I, I can't say that I've ever LARPed necessarily when it was called LARPing, but uh, when when, when we were kids we definitely uh, did make-believe with uh, swords and beat the heck out of each other, (laughs) like made out of wood or PVC. Uh, It was later that we found out that you could put foam over the PVC and not hurt each other with it. But, I mean, you You could build some pretty cool swords with PVC and the angle joints and whatnot. Uh, yeah, no, I guess they're like, you know, we were pre-boffing boffers, it was more like whalers. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, no, that's, that's gonna be a cool thing to hear. Uh, but before that, do you, uh, I don't know, anything going on in Oleander these days?
2: Well, you—I don't know if you can hear—but on the uh, roof of the uh, barn, it is raining.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 raining out here at the radio station too.
2: And and you know, the reason that it, you know we—it's it's science. You know, the, the reason that there is um, you know fogs in oleander mm-hmm. is you know ghost pirates. Yeah, yeah, um, and that, of course. Uh, murder clowns are uh, a meteorological factor were, in oleander. I argue that I think they were
0: I I think they were uh, imported from Massachusetts in the uh, uh, late 70s. But I, yeah, I, you know, hey, we carry on. We I'm can sorry. We agreed to disagree. Yeah.
2: But you know why it rains in oleander? I don't know. People make the clouds sad. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, we are very, very emotional clouds. Yeah. And then if you go out there and you taunt them, then they taunt you back with thunder and lightning. So <clears throat> so do not taunt Oleander weather formations.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds like a good plan, Dave. Uh, yeah, no, um, let's see. Uh, going on in town from the commercial aspect, there's really not that much except for Main Street's being shut down for... Uh, Octoberfest, which is what they're going on with Oblivions pretty much this week, all week long. It's 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 the last weekend of September, but it's actually the first weekend of October. So I think their 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 uh, promotions are bleeding from October to Octoberfest. So they're doing spooky Octoberfest. Uh, come pet the blood goats and drink your weight in. Uh, beer and then eat your weight in bratwurst, currywurst, and all that other kind of fun stuff. It's but the don't
2: make the cloud sad. Don't make
0: the cloud sad Don't make the cloud sad. Uh, so yeah, uh, we've got that going Ralph's
2: on. Running out in the middle of the rain. I don't know if you just heard him. Oh
0: no, no.
2: Yeah. All right. Ralph is running in the rain. Ralphie, he, he runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. Yeah. He, okay. What month do we celebrate Oktoberfest?
0: Uh, generally September. Yes. Why? Uh, because that's when the uh, German restaurants in Portland celebrate Oktoberfest.
2: Well, okay, but but October is you know October Octo means eight, right? Yes. Yeah. And Oktoberfest means the celebration of the eighth, right? Yeah. So we do it on the eleventh month. Mm-hmm. You know why? Why? Because the original calendar, and this is a really old thing, had 10 months. Yeah. And then when the Romans decided they're going to put two more months in, they put in January and July, or no, August and July, after Augustus and Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that just threw off all the Oktoberfest. And you know what that does? What's that? It makes the clouds sad. <laughs> well that's why we've had that's why we've had rain since the roman times people tune in for the science
0: yeah 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 okay so uh here's what i know people definitely tune in for dave's corner of the podcast
2: Make Our Clouds Happy, and we are talking about the Book of Ivan, or Yvonne, or Yvonne.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, Ivan Lieber, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, tell me all about
2: it. So, it's the creation of Clark Ashton Smith. Cool. So, if you were going to be part of the original Lovecraft Circle, Mm -hmm. you had to have your own book. Lovecraft had the Neconomicon, Uh, you know, uh, Robert Block had Cult of the Ghouls. Mm -hmm. Actually, Cult of Ghouls, I think, was, I'm sorry, but Robert E. Howard, you know, had uh, the Nameless Cults, Mm -hmm. so so, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, he needed a cool book, so he creates the Book of Iron. Now, um... I don't know. How do you pronounce it, Ivan or I, Ivan or
0: Uh Ivon. Uh, Ibon. Yeah.
2: ivan So Ivan is a character in his one of his stories before the book. Mm-hmm. So Ivan is this wizard, and here's the interesting thing. Sure. The Necronomicon we all know is created in what 765 by Abdul Al Hazarad. Yeah. Um, Cult the ghouls and. and nameless cults are like 15th, 16th century. Yeah. The Book of Ion is created during the Hyborian
0: Age. Ooh,
2: yeah. So if you're going to use this in like, say, a fantasy game, mm-hmm. this, is, this is the one of these cults that is actually set during a fantasy time. And it's kind of the writings of, well, it is the writings of um, The Wizard Ivan. And Ivan is Clark Ashton Smith's alter ego. Uh-huh. Uh, again, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a book if you're gonna be in this circle, and you're gonna have this uh, alter ego. Yeah. Uh, and so Lovecraft was of course Randolph Carter. Uh-huh. Robert E. Howard was any black-haired main character, you know, that, that he wrote about. <laughs> and so Ivan has got a lot of personalities. That Clark Ashton Smith has. He's mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. poet. Uh, he's a sculptor. Uh, he's interested in history, um, and so he creates this tower. And the tower explodes, and we he escapes secretly to to Saturn, but in this ruined tower is what's left of the book uh, of Ivar. And so it's sort of, you know, we see parallel stories of this uh, and, and, you know, even I know people who in the South have told me, you know, their aunt's grandmother house burned down, Mm -hmm. but the Bible was still there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so this book is basically, um, it's protected Mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. some sort of supernatural because it's. You know, its words are protected. Now, here's the other interesting thing. Since this is an ancient book, we get the book of Ivan from two sources in modern times. Mm -hmm. And and this I'm getting mainly from uh, the encyclopedia uh, uh, Cthulhu. And I'm not sure. I think this was from Clark Ashton Smith's notes. Mm -hmm. But I think it was followed up by the game. Okay. And we're going to get a lot of Call of Cthulhu role-playing game stuff, because, you know, it's like, it's like if you play the Star Wars game,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, there's the Millennium Falcon. Everybody's got a YT-1300. Mm-hmm. You want a YT, you want a spaceship for your smuggler, but you don't want to have a, you know, what hat Solo hat exactly. So West End Games created the Tech 720. I'm not saying that that you know, uh, chaosium invented the Book of Ivan, but they use it a lot the same ways. Well, sure. we don't. Yeah. Everybody knows what the Necronomicon is. Yeah. Let's throw in, you know, another book from there mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. sort of fill out that people aren't as familiar with. Yeah. When I do games, I tend to use uh, Brian Lumley's. Uh, uh, Chalk Aqua, aqua deum.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Because, I...
2: you know, a lot of people, a lot of players that haven't used, aren't familiar with it. But, you know, it, especially because it cares so much about the deep ones. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so we get, uh, so this is Hy- Hyborian, um, you know, a, a civilization's destroyed. So we get the copies of the Modern uh, Book of Ivan, one of two ways. One is that it goes from, it's, it's saved in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. When Atlantis sinks, Atlantis goes to uh, merchants, go to Egyptian merchants, and eventually passes down through the Greeks and then the Romans and into Latin. Yeah. Uh, or, no, excuse me, or, or it comes through the Egyptians. The other way, excuse me, is the Atlanteans save it. Mm-hmm. And they go, some of the survivors of Atlantia or Atlantis go to France mm-hmm. and they become to Clark Aston Smith Arvion. Yep. Yep. So yep. there's two so the people of Arvion are descendants or the leaders are descendants in uh from Atlanteans. Mm-hmm. So here's and we're gonna see this and I'm sure that he was influenced but this is going to become like hardcore conspiracy theory in the 1970s when we say that the, when – not we, but where people start saying in things like uh, uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that what they're claiming the, – the Merovingian dynasty from France were claiming to come from the sea. So I've seen them used in, you know, uh, Call of Cthulhu games, but that they – or the children of uh, descendants of Christ uh, through Christ and Mary Magna and their daughter Sarah that escapes to France.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, same thing. Or same thing that the Trojans are going to escape to England. Yeah. So my point is, you've got one: the Egyptian Book of the Avon or Avon, which later becomes, you know, Greek and then Latin. Then you got the French. So what if what happens when you get two copies of sacred scripture that may have changed a little in time? Yeah. You get a holy war. Hmm. So what if there's like this, you know, sort of delta green scenario, or even could be, you know, set in your D and D time, where you know we're the true followers of Avon, Ivan, and now. Those people don't even pronounce Yvonne's name right. Yeah. Uh, And so just the little tiny differences of the scripture uh, where, you know, where they're talking about the slug and they say, oh, this is really, you know, Cthulhu. Oh, no, this is really Hawthorne. No, it was a slug that he saw on his, you know, windowsill and he thought he'd write about. Yeah. You know, that there's two sort of a holy war based on the two different books. Huh.
0: That's cool. I like that idea.
2: One of the other interesting things about this um, is that you know Lovecraft definitely he threw you know verses and paragraphs in from the Necronomicon, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but that Carter, you know, he he uh, I believe it's his White Worm, you know, is supposed to be Chapter Nine, the Book of Ivan. Yeah. So, so there, you know, he actually uses the book not only as a tool but as a a framing device
0: yeah i i I feel like lynn carter took that concept and really ran with it uh particularly with clark ashton smith's works as we've discussed Uh, in talking about that chaosium book oh it's on the tip of my tongue uh the book of even the book of yeah thank you
2: But the idea that something is written down is just extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and you know, Lovecraft is an atheist. Um, Howard believed in reincarnation. I'm not quite sure what Smith believed in. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, of course, is very strong Catholic. Sure. A uh, block, block is, is Jewish. Yeah. But they all have sort of this basic understanding as Americans of what the concept of scripture is. Sure. And, and they, and they use that, especially the old Testament. You see a lot of, but there's also a book called, and it has many names, but the book of Dyson and the book of Dyson, in fact, has been one of the books. It was so influential. It's another book that, uh, call, uh Chaosium,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, wrote up and it's sort of, it's it's really uh, ISIS unveiled, and it's the books that are written by um, Madame Blavatsky. Blech. Blavatsky, yes, uh, and she is the founder of modern theophism. Leopold, of course, was not a believer, but uh-huh. he loved he loved her writings as inspiration. Yeah, and, and again, this is where their idea of this writer's circle of the importance of a book to a theology or a concept, it comes a lot from from the, the teachings of, of Lovatsky.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just I, I, the, what I always think of when I hear that name is like how people used her complete garbage to their own means, like the... Uh, uh, Thule society and then on to like Nazism and stuff like that.
2: (laughs) Yes, but uh, and and you're right there, the She died way before the Nazi movement.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 And
2: and 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 at least she had the respect enough to call the Aryans Hindu Aryans, at least knowing that they're not white blonde people that they're they come from. She's very influential Mm -hmm. in theology, and mysticism.
0: Yeah, no, spiritualism, occultism, yeah, all that stuff, all that stuff. And so
2: she becomes influential in horror.
0: mm Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's it's like the Book of Zahn and all all that fun stuff was a huge inspiration for a lot of people for, like, creative stuff, but, like, the people who took it seriously or the people who altered it to their own agenda, though, that stuff is just... Yuck! <laughs> I'm sorry. I've totally distracted no, no, from yeah, our, our original and, point.
2: Yeah. So you people that are really believing in stuff, you're messing up for the rest of us. Yeah. Who just but want no, to use it for fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, one other book I think that is really going to be influential, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I'll tell you who hates that. Who hates that? It's The, gold, well, it's the Golden Bough. Okay. By Robert Frazier. All right. And The Golden Bough, are you familiar with this? No. It's sort of the first real anthropological work where he goes down and he basically writes down all these old, old English um, folklore. Oh. And, and so, you know, in you know, middle class England house, you had, you know, the Bible. Yeah. The 13 copies of the Golden Bough. Uh-huh. And if you were lucky, maybe the Encyclopedia Britannica. Ah. Uh. Uh, and so that's again another book that definitely Lovecraft, and Howard, and I can't believe Smith sort of codified it. They were thinking about when they were writing these books. Yeah. Now, who ha- who hates the Golden Bough? Yeah. Modern anthropologists. Ah. Because they'll go to this city in England and they'll say, Oh yeah, yeah, my great grandfather said that you know the people dance naked in the moon. Uh, f- for the, the elves of and Ormond's court down, the, and, and it'll be word for word the Golden Bow, as those anthropologists are pulling their hearts out, hairs out. Well, was that story their grandfather really heard, or did their grandfather yeah. read this in the Golden Bow?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no. You find that with uh, anthropology, I guess, quite a bit from the anthropology YouTube stuff I watch. But
2: so, so that's pretty much what I got on the, the Book of Ebon which I am sure, if you are listening, I pronounce seven different ways.
0: Oh, yeah, me too, me too. All right, well, that's it for Dave's Corner of the Podcast, which I interrupt several times, but that's not in any of the th- songs. Maybe it'll be in the next song. All right. Maybe
2: be a cool song.
0: Yeah. It'll
2: be uh, a cool verse. This is where Davey interrupts him. And corrects him when he goes off the wrong way,
0: <laughs> and interrupts and off-track conversations. Hey, uh, up next, uh, Dave, you're interviewing
2: someone, uh, Phil Lyman, who is a Larp'er on how to use Cthulhu and the Mythos in your in your traditional fantasy Larp. Sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool.
0: All right, and after that, we'll have D and D on D We'll we'll be talking about Bokrug, the water lizard.
2: And so we're really excited today because we have Phil Lehman uh, as our guest. Uh, Phil, you want to maybe tell our audience a little bit about who you are?
1: Uh, Yeah, I am a LARPer, a live action role player, uh, and a craftsman for LARP events. I grew up learning woodcraft, leathercraft, etc. where I grew up in uh, the Great Lakes near uh, in Ohio and that just when I discovered D&D and then live action role play it was just a natural evolution for me. Interesting. So maybe and I suspect most people listening to this show know what a LARP is, but what is what is a LARP? Well, there's some stereotypes, but basically, if you ever played Cops and Robbers as a kid, or you took a nerf sword with you down a forest path, fighting imaginary monsters, or maybe a group of your friends, you have done live action role play. It is pretending to be a character and then having fun with it. The same way that tabletop role playing games em- uh, evoke. An emotion and it makes people really feel that they're in the moment playing a character in a fantastical setting. Live action role play does the same thing, but it does it in a convention hall, it does it in a forest. Um, there are some that have been underground in caves. I have done them on uh, uh, scout camps or out in the woods at night in all kinds of weather in all kinds of um, terrain and it really evokes a much more powerful emotional experience.
2: I bet and Ralph there you you heard approves. <laughs> he approves. Yeah. Now, in addition to D&D, you do uh, call Cthulhu larping too, correct?
1: I have used, I, I signed up to I, I volunteer because I wanted to talk about Cthulhu in actually high fantasy. Live-action roleplay. You talked to Sean Branny, and they started out with Cthulhu Lives, which was a a Call of Cthulhu live-action roleplay. Unfortunately, right now, I am not aware of any live-action Cthulhu, uh, especially that 1920s, 1930s Call of Cthulhu. Oh, okay. Role play on an ongoing basis. I have been to conventions where they had them with what's called a parlor larp, meaning it's a one-time deal. Frequently, there they'll send you a uh, pre-rolled up character sheet, and it's like playing um, Arkham Horror or Call of Cthulhu to a lesser extent, where you're or like a murder
2: mystery party.
1: Exactly like a murder mystery party. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Great input. And uh, so when you show up, you have some idea of what kind of costume to wear, what kind of props to bring. And then the game runner will usually send you letters, newspapers, maybe artifacts that allow you to immerse yourself into the character ahead of time. And then through the course of maybe two to I've seen as long as eight hours with breaks uh, where, you know, for meals Mm -hmm. where they uh, played out. Uh, the the game. And it was very similar if you've ever played um, Arkham Horror or uh, a a limited Call of Cthulhu tabletop game. It's done the same way, except you are the character. You're really immersed in it, and it's not so much of, well, I roll to see if I can do this. I actually try and do this.
2: My my father, it wasn't Call of Cthulhu, but it was sort of like a 1920s Agatha Christie uh, murder mystery on a train. Uh, where they all dressed up, you know, in twenties, and, and my my father, you know, never played a role playing game in his life. He talked about that for years.
1: Well, I I would co- characterize that as a role playing game, but you know, you're well, he never opinion. played the traditional role playing game with me. No, it's it, it may be a little different, but again, it's what people are comfortable and what they're into. My experience has been since two thousand and three, I have been involved in a number of sword and sorcery like conan or high fantasy like lord of the rings or steampunk and horror live action role plays that consistently brought cthulhu into their games i mean there's an obvious connection between you know conan and cthulhu because robert e howard and h.p lovecraft were such good correspondents
2: yeah howard of course wrote uh the thing on the roof and one of my favorite mythos stories the black stone
1: oh yeah that was a particularly great one i loved how they used each other's uh ancient tomes and grimoires mm. and to a lesser extent the uh great old ones between them
2: and in fact uh arkham sanitarium was created by howard as a tribute to his friend and lovecraft liked it so much that he used it in the thing in the uh, doorstep.
1: That's right, yeah.
2: So what are maybe some of the locations and costumes that you would use in this sort of fantasy called Cthulhu uh, uh, LARPing?
1: Well, I I mentioned the parlor LARPs, which, again, frequently I've seen those at conventions. Those could be at a sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, sometimes even a comic book convention, Um, They have them at the more Cthulhu-related HP Lovecraft conventions as well. I don't have much experience with those. My realm of experience is with um, ones that take place in, like, public parks. Um, I started in Colorado, and there we just used public parks where we would let the game wardens know what we were doing and then they, you know, said, "Okay, well, now we know what you're doing, and we'll, you know, leave you alone as long as it seems like you're, you know, not causing a ruckus." Um, we have done it on a lot of rental campgrounds because those lend mm. themselves very immersive uh, through a whole weekend, or like a Labor Day, or Memorial Day, or Fourth of July weekend, where you have a three-day weekend you use that to the advantage where you come in on a Friday night maybe, and then you go through Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and then go home Monday morning for the long weekend. Um, And that gives you typically cabins and a dining facility so that you can sleep in game, you can eat in game, and the game runners can drop uh, non-player characters, they can drop clues, they can put artifacts in. Uh, I have an anecdote about that. We'll talk about that later. Um, And then sometimes, too, it's been on private land where somebody had a farm or somebody had a really big backyard or, you know, a couple, five acres, something like that, and we would do it there. Okay, excellent. Uh, Um, I also mentioned clothing. Yes. Um, I find the best place to get that kind of especially if you're doing a true Call of Cthulhu 1920s, you can start very simply with just, you know, a a white shirt and a pair of khakis and and leather shoes, and then you dress it up with, like, a bow tie and suspenders. Maybe you go to a vintage store for, like, a a fancy hat or some one-piece that's—because you're going to pay more there. Um, But yard sales, thrift stores, and surplus vendors have a lot of relatively cheap clothing that— you know, if you get it dirty out in the, in the mud, in the snow, in the woods, you're not going to be super upset about it because, you know, you've destroyed it. You're anything. not out too it's much. Yeah, yeah, an actual outfit. Now, now you had some
2: stories you are going to share about LARPing?
1: Yeah. Um, one of my favorite one was, again, because some of these are more fantasy LARPs, they have a bit more of an enduring nature to them, the same way a d and campaign does. Um, when I played Call of Cthulhu as a, a tabletop, my characters pretty much go insane during the course of maybe one to three games. But these fantasy games are, you know, last for uh, sometimes years, mm-hmm. and that's what I liked. One of my stories is about, we started with a new location, And there was this haunted house that the characters had to figure out why does it keep occurring? Because it was a horrible, horrible place uh, caused by all this dark, necromantic blood magic. And it drew uh, zombies. It drew vampires. It drew these animated skeletons that would all converge on this haunted house. Mm -hmm. And the locals, the farmers and, and townspeople were like, can you help us? And so we... You know, years before they had tried dynamiting it and everything like that. So we were more of a group of adventurers and um, scholars who knew magic lore. So we went in there, and one of the things that was in the haunted house, uh, among other pitfalls, was this statue of Emma. And let me describe it for you because I don't have a good picture with me. And and for a podcast, it, it doesn't help you anyhow. Mm-hmm. This was a three-foot doll that had been painted with stone-type gray paint that crackled and split. And then they had it mounted on a pedestal that said Emma. And it was the creepiest thing I had ever seen, mm-hmm. uh, especially since when it would crack the flesh underneath would kind of come through and they it was one of these things in this haunted house that even when we used uh the you know we found out what the key was what the mystery was and undid the mystic riddle and caused the haunted house to shrink into itself we thought okay goodbye to all of it you know it's the end of a halloween event uh you know we all went to bed uh that was the end of the event we all you know thought we'd uh and ended the adventure. It was just beginning. Five years later, at a New Year's, essentially like a New Year's Eve event, it reappeared and it just kept appearing at different places on the campground. Through that whole summer session, it kept reappearing. And anytime you messed with it, it would just curse you. And so you would spend like that whole weekend trying to undo the curse that was on you or somebody from your group. So, everyone said, "Just leave it alone." So, at the end of the season, it's Halloween again, right? And, like I said, we stay in these cabins. Um, and so I got up. I was a, second to last one to get up. I go to the showers. Well, you know, so I'm taking my shower. I come out when I hear this blood curdling scream. And there was one young lady who was still, you know had been sleeping. She woke up, and the plot team had snuck the doll in and put it right by the head of her bed. So when she woke up, the first thing she saw was this creepy doll sitting right next to her bunk. And she screamed louder, brought the whole camp there. Now, she got out around it, and we calmed her down, and she was good. Then a year later, in 2016, same thing happened. Same young lady, same character. And it was just the surprise and the scare because <clears> there <throat> was no horrible experience. There was no, um, it didn't torture her or, or curse her or anything like that. No, no, just, no jump scare. It was,
2: it was just there. It was just there.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's why I like some of these. Is some of these are another one we had been investigating a ruins that was centuries old. Uh, or maybe a thousand years old, maybe more than that. Uh, Again, with the characters we were playing, they didn't have carbon dating or anything like that, Mm -hmm. so they didn't know. But inside it, it was all these ruins, and it was kind of like a Roman highway that went through the middle of this ruined city. And part of it was there was Jacob the Tollkeeper. He was a ghost who was so dedicated, he kept taking tolls, as we went through and so you know in order to get anywhere we you know it, it, it wasn't worth fighting him you know to exercise him or anything like that he was too powerful like that and if we just paid him he'd let us through sure um so and usually it was you know silver coins because he didn't he didn't know what paper money was so he wouldn't take it um so then the big climax to that plot line was we found we had to go back in time, and we went ten thousand years back in time, and we're having to dodge all these big like rock golems, you know, like out of D and D, and then there's all these horrors, which are essentially great old one type monsters and shugaths and other other mythos type beasts, and we're running down this highway, and we come to that same tollkeeper, except he was alive. First time we'd ever met him, and it was just that big laugh before you see the really horrible monster. Yeah. And it was just such a stress reliever. So, again, it, it's when you blend the fantasy with the horror, it makes for a really fun, you know, you put in a little humor and it really uh, relieves the tension. It sounds like you have to have a, a team of NPCs,
2: uh, actors, or uh, basically playing written out parts for the characters to play off of.
1: Yes, but you can do it with um, where I'm going to go on this adventure with this group of six uh, adventurers with me. And you're trying to have a balance, you know, so you have somebody who knows mystic lore and somebody who's good at fighting and somebody who's uh, your first aid character. Um, But then another group will be what you know non-player characters you're if you're familiar with that concept from D, you know they're people and they're playing the eldritch horrors or they're playing the monsters or they're playing the vampires the zombies the animated skeletons um and then you kind of all right we went through this adventure everybody takes a break gets water eats maybe and then you flip it around so the people who had been the non-player characters they mm. pick up a different adventure and then you NPC for them. So you take turns. Or some people will just NPC through the whole weekend, too. So how
2: would you roleplay something like running across Cthulhu or or a great old one?
1: Well, it kind of depends on the character. Um, Like, I want to scale it up. Because in the games I've played, the first thing you're going to hit are cultists. And so those you can deal with, with weapons, explosives, you're there to disrupt their rituals. Regular NPCs. Yeah, and there are other NPCs, yeah. But sometimes they're too powerful for you. And so you do encounter these um, great old ones. And this is where the reading of H.P. Lovecraft really kind of helps because the less you know about it, the more you're likely to pass it off as a dream i had this nightmare that we went into those ruins mm-hmm. and you know yes i expected a vampire but there was this dream you know monster that just you know sucked out all my dreams or other bad stuff happened to me um and then the other one is you kind of be prepared to go a little mad or maybe a lot of insane um depending on Like Ralph. Ralph agrees, yeah. Um, You know, where if you're really willing to uh, achieve your goal, you're going to keep going through this dungeon. And, you know, the worst one I saw was one where one of my characters encountered. It wasn't Cthulhu. It was a tailored to this steampunk horror deity, who was actually one of the more positive ones. But he was styled after Cthulhu. But he was kind of the patron deity of mad scientists. And the way he communicated with you is he, if you got close enough, he wouldn't influence your dreams anymore. He would actually stick a tentacle through your ear and into your brain. And then the, the game runners would kind of tell you, OK, now you're paranoid or now you're uh, you hear voices or now you can't speak. You're mute and you have to mime everything. And it would just allowed you to show your creativity about how you would do that. My character got paranoid, so he went to the corner of this, you know, big dining hall kind of room that we were using, working out of, and he gathered up all his stuff and stuck it in his knapsack, and he wouldn't trust anybody till like, the next day.
2: Excellent. Now, let's say somebody, and I know that this is, you know, all across – the country in fact we have people listening uh, different countries too but in general let's say someone was interested in getting involved with LARPing uh, or Call Cthulhu LARPing what's the best way to, to, to find a group
1: well the way I started was at a convention and I think that's a good one where you can talk to the players you can see what the costumes look like up close and personal you can kind of get a gauge for how much outlay they've put into it um, one of the things I haven't talked about much was the, those non-player characters. A lot of times when they would appear, it was in very simple costumes. Maybe something that would give you the image of a mask in a, like a long, dark hooded robe. Mm-hmm. And that's where – and a lot of times we would do this kind of stuff at night with maybe just a little bit of campfire or just moonlight or something. In and the lighting. Yes, yes. Minimal lighting, but enough so that if you're running around, you could still see what you were doing. Um, Or you'd have, you know, uh, people would make their own lanterns, but using, like, glow sticks so that you didn't actually set anything on fire uh, or, you know, that were, you know, flashlight-based things. Um, But that way your mind would fill in the details and everything. Um, But. Like I said, I I started at a convention, and I found that to be the best way, because then I could talk to the players, I could talk to the staff. um, I got to see a lot of the costumes up close and personal. Um, There is a LARPing uh, subreddit, if you're on Reddit online. Similarly, on Facebook, there's what's called LARP Haven, and that's a page where you can go look up everything from very extravagant European-style ones to very simple... um, you know, local neighborhood ones. Um, and I believe they have a uh, page on meetup.com. Uh, yeah. I haven't used that one. I highly recommend using going to your local comic book or gaming shops. Most uh, LARPs will advertise there because they want to bring in the local crowd. They want yeah. people to show up every month or every couple months or however frequently they do it. Um, you could actually take your own Call of Cthulhu or Arkham Horror game and develop that with a group of your own friends if you have a good, strong uh, keeper to tell your story. And then finally, uh, there's a vampire-based LARP called Mind's Eye Theater that's uh, based on Vampire the Masquerade and then it has Werewolf and there's some magic in there too. Um, I don't know how much Cthulhu or Great Old Ones connections there are, but I could see them having a connection as well. Excellent. Now, we're almost out of time, and thank you
2: so much. Hope to have you back again soon. But have anything else maybe you'd like to share with us? Um,
1: the other thing I really liked about this is the crafting, uh, as I mentioned. One of the things I like doing is, uh, as I do leather leatherworks, um, I take and recycle a lot of the material. So I like taking just scrap bits of leather and old um paper you know old-fashioned paper grocery bags and then you rip those down to a standard size sheet and then you stain them with coffee or tea or okay. a little a little bit of motor oil uh, and a little bit of like ketchup and grape jelly mixed it'll give you some really creepy looking pages and then you can use those through a computer printer um, and come up with different uh, spell books grimoires uh, oh excellent you can have you know spell pages that are uh, you know I, I have a little bit of uh, background in um uh calligraphy so oh, you yeah. add some of that all together and you can come up with at virtually no cost and a little bit of time you can come up with some really cool props uh to enhance your game
2: are, are there some websites or maybe books that you would recommend for people who are interested in And uh, making things like that? or
1: Um, Again, I will go back to the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. They have a lot of fonts and um, computer-based tools that you can use. Um, I like to use, again, I have some background in art, so uh, I like to use some of my calligraphy books, and I use that. But I do know other people uh, have used uh, archives of newspapers and just taken an old 1920s, 1930s newspaper page, and they replace one section of it in a you know from a, a, a PDF, and they come up with their own article that is their clue, and then they just uh, you know lay that over top in a digital document you know, through PDF, and then they can come up with their own, uh, you know, newsprint stories like that and just print oh, it excellent. On a sheet of paper. Um, again, it depends on how creative or, or, or what skills you have to begin with. Excellent. Well, we definitely would love to have you uh, on it again.
2: Uh, is there maybe any, uh, any uh, LARPs or do you have anything uh, maybe creative in the, the works that you might want to be able to
1: share with us? Um, I'm hoping to get back to the Midwest. There's a a LARP called Odyssey that kind of wraps up everything. It's got cultists. It's got some epic fantasy. It's got some Conan-style, you know, sword and sorcery, planning a heist. It's got huge magic. It's got a lot of uh, HP Lovecraft references. For example, the last time I played there, I was actually robbing graves to bring the freshest bodies to a Dr. Herbert West Oh, so they actually put him in as a non-player character Uh, so uh, it really was kind of all kinds of different LARPing all wrapped into one excellent well thank you
2: very much and we appreciate your patience with Ralph who seems to be uh, very targeted today but uh, this has been with Uh, Philip Lehman and we are hopefully going to get you back on soon. Sounds good. Thank
4: you. Welcome to Innsmouth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide John Chadwick as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library, and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV, or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place. It's a state of mind.
0: This month, bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic Water. Who needs a Tilling House Resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for Curvy Girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Size up ladies. Pretty good stuff. I think I've got a, I've got a thickness for the thickness and I have to recommend Curvy Girl. All right. Also, Glary. Find fine student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, it's hilarious. Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave liked to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys. Art. Graphic design, graphic graphic novels for you. Things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, Check out the links on our website, pgptcf. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called delta eight? Not to be confused with the delta variant, but delta eight. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at, uh, wh- 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 what's, what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat, and while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos. They've got drums. They've got amplifiers. They've got guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner. And check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that will tell you how to support the show how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to Asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show. And that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. everyone we are back we're going to be talking about back rub uh Dave uh what do you know about back
2: So I know what happens when it gets its nerves all pinched and it starts having pain mm-hmm. you give it a back rub Okay <laughs> Okay so um now, uh it's basically he's the god of the people of Ib, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's...
0: Yeah, he's a giant water lizard from the god of the people of Ib in the land of Minar, and and uh, that's- Who is
2: next to Sarnath.
0: Well, Sarnath, Sarnath, uh, they, they, they killed the people of Ib and built their place on top of the people of Ib from what I recall. I could be wrong about this. And what I wanna say is Uh, The people of Ib are actually known as the Thum ha which are possibly uh, the uh, descendants of what we now call Deep Ones. But they're like described as amphibious lizards. And my question is... They're
2: frog people.
0: They're frog people. Are, is, is there some form before this? Did they crossbreed with lizard people? And the reason that they look different in the future is because they started breeding with humans. Um, in the games and various other stuff, we have references to deep ones that have bred with uh, star spawn and have tentacle faces. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's like, I'm starting to think that the, the Thum'ha are pretty much deep ones and maybe Bakrug is their biggest oldest largest kind of like Bakrug is the ancient equivalent to Dagon and Hydra
2: That'd be interesting so yeah. if I was just going off the top of my head which apparently I am Yeah I would say that maybe that they're mutated somehow sure. because they live in the dreamlands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cuz I remember that the, the people of Ib, yeah, or the creatures of Ib, they were for, you know for For basically the other in a Lovecraftian story, they were pretty chill, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just
2: wanted to hang out, be with themselves, make croaking sounds. Yeah,
0: yeah. They they were just frog people living in their frog place, uh, doing their frog Mm -hmm. things. And along come the ancient people that built Sarnath. uh, You know the the, and then yeah, yeah. Read read the doom that came to Sarnath. I mean we're 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 kind of spelling it out for you like talking about everything surrounding it without actually but, talking but
2: about but again the story. it's what a 99-year-old story
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but yeah <laughs> yeah definitely definitely and it's it's kind of like the deep ones may have came from the dreamlands but you have stuff like uh you know that's why they're not super super alien they're more like I don't know, just other? It's, it's, it's not like they're uh, Yithians who just seem like just like this complete alien thing. It's like, I don't know, uh, maybe the Thumha and Bakrug are like ancient dreamland inhabitants that, I don't know, maybe uh, predate a lot of stuff that we think of when we think about uh, the Cthulhu mythos.
2: Well, well, I was thinking, you know what? What if they, they weren't on just the dreamland? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if they had a civilization that had been wiped out by man? Yeah. And, and they were like, we're in Pompeii. Yeah. Or, or, you know, Port Royal that got destroyed by an earthquake. Sure, yeah. Or, you know, and so maybe it's like all of a sudden your players found that there's a, an artifact or something that there was in L.A. or Boston Arkham. Yeah. And now they've got to go to the dreamlands and find this this god and make peace before he wipes out, you know, the city that they wiped out, you know, his children 2,000 years ago. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I, and, and, and you know, it takes – because in the story, doesn't it take them like 1,000 years to get revenge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of shows you, well, time is different – to you know the great old ones but time is different in the dreamlands
0: oh yeah 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 no i was i was thinking uh you could like possibly incorporate it into dungeons and dragons pretty quick over just by like uh applying the doom that came to sarnath to not like water deep, but you know your own giant made-up trade town that exists on like maybe the precipice of like a, a major lake or several bodies of water. And everyone, you know, if they're expecting you always to add a Cthulhu mythos element, and they're right next to a body of water, they think you're gonna bring in the yellow sign. You bring in Bakrug, and uh, <laughs> his revenge. But I don't know. That's that's one thought.
2: You know, and. Um... And maybe, you know, m- maybe there's like two beings of Ib left, like Ib sure. Adam and Ib Eve. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, you, all of a sudden you're getting this, you know, uh, warlock is getting messages that you've got to go find and rescue the, you know, the, the two last Ibians or, mm-hmm. or the city will be destroyed.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Or, 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 uh, you could find out that there's some sort of illness that's sweeping your water city, and then what you find out is actually that people have just been, um, becoming, uh, through, through, like, generational, uh, crossbreeding with, like, the, uh, amphibious people, like maybe, you know, you can do a D&D thing of like the beginning of like Deep Ones and stuff like that, or a community that doesn't realize that they mm. have Deep One ancestry, and that's actually the doom that came to Sarnath. And maybe it's not actually like, you know, it's not actually Bakrug isn't a physical manifestation, but how to explain uh, this transformation.
2: And that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Because I'm like, uh, in, in in like, you know, in certain cultures, I I, I, I don't have any examples off the top of my, <clears throat> off the top of my head right now. But you know, explaining and possibly like maybe this only happens in fantasy. Um, like explaining something really bad that happened to your civilization with. A story, an apocryphal story, uh, that actually it's like something totally different that happened. But this is a lot easier to explain than, oh yeah, yeah your great 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 grandma fell in love with a frogman. You know, um, I don't know.
2: because yeah, you know we think we we think we call Cthulhu mm-hmm. or, or you know D and D. We're thinking, you know, we take that pretty much as. You know, writ. And, yeah, you know, It's yeah, canon. Yeah. But what if some of these things are symbolic? Exactly. You know, we think, well, because I've got the power to heal, then Zeus must be real. <laughs> <laughs> or what, if, what if Zeus is just the what is Zeus is just you know the the spirit of you know, bodily growth or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I, I, something I keep talking about is, you know, the concepts and ideas that humans on Earth have about the Cthulhu mythos and these Lovecraft stories can could just be misinterpretations. Like, what if there was a huge language gulf between the Migo and the people living in the hills of Vermont uh, when it comes to, like, worshipping stuff? What if, you know, uh, ancient people who dealt with, stuff. And you know what? What if there's just misinformation from some shapeshifter who tells people that he is um, some kind of messenger for some god, but actually what he is is just some like ageless shapeshifter from like you know, something with godlike powers, but you know, it's just lying to everyone. Naraletotep. Uh, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you can do that can make even like be kind of like an atheist about the Cthulhu mythos.
2: Or, yeah. <laughs> well, or you know, you could also go the other way. Oh yeah. You know, you, you know, there's Bokrog, and its people gets destroyed. Yeah. And a thousand years later, it takes out the human beings.
0: Sure. Yeah. Oh. No. That's. You know, I've got nobody
2: worshiping me. What yep. am I gonna do now? <laughs> Let me pop out of the dream. So you know, maybe maybe he's now going to go out and try to recruit the humans, or, or the ghouls, or oh sure, or maybe he's gonna jump out of you know the the dreamlands and he ends up you know in your D and D world and he's all powerful but maybe doesn't know you know you know the language or something mm-hmm. or you know. He pops out, he jumps out of the dreamlands, and he's in, you know, 1989 English Disco. Or, yeah. You know, now you've got this creature that's basically kind of passive unless you take on his people. You know, you know, I'm all-powerful. What am I going to do?
3: Ooh.
0: Yeah.
2: You know what else it would be a really cool one? What's that? I think, do like... A, like a, a, a fog type thing. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the six families that escaped Sarneth.
3: Ooh.
2: You're a new city. And, and so maybe you don't want to send Bokhrog, but he's going to send, you know, vampires and zombies and all sorts of reptilian undead, you know, uh, in, in, in maybe not new Sarnath, but, you know, deep water or someplace.
0: Sure. Ooh, what if you have some sort of like I don't know, um, deep one like ghoul types? I was I was just thinking about like oh man, so if deep ones can like take on transmutative properties of the race that they mate with, whether it be lizard people, whether it be star spawn. It's like, what happens if deep one, if a deep one community and a ghoul community like started hanging out? Cause like, you have people who become ghouls from like messing around with dark magic and spending a lot of time around ghouls. What happens if deep ones? spend a lot of time around ghouls, or ghoul communities, or ghoul information. (laughs) I mean, things could have been a lot worse for the narrator in Sinjin, in The Hound, if (laughs) it was an aquatic ghoul of some sort.
2: (laughs) Or, you know, uh, Bokrog decides it wants a new race, so it starts laying xenomorph eggs. (laughs) <laughs> and, 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 you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's these fish people are about to <clears throat> attack you. Oh, you're you're saved. Their stomach blows up. Well, wait, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Wait around a couple of hours.
0: Yeah. No. No. Bakrug uh, seems to be some sort of like uh, uh, god of hybridization, uh, <laughs> or at least the the uh, um, oh goodness, it's on the other page the Thumha tend to really be able to adapt. If, if my theory stands up that the Thumha are the uh, uh, genetic predecessors to the Deep Ones or the Deep Ones themselves.
2: And, and you know, what if, and like I said, the, the, you, Thumha, I say, you know, the people of Id, what if the creatures of Id, ex, some escaped into the real world? Yeah. And now uh, the deep ones are, want them. They want this genetic stock. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: But, you know, the Ibs, the Indians are pretty chill. They don't, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't like this Cthulhu or or deep one stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, your players are, oh, wow, well, you know, we've gone a couple of rounds with the deep one. And now that this froggy deep one seems is being nice, are they trying to trick us? Are they yeah. trying to get us some help? What's,
0: yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, that, that would be an interesting thing too, is to uh, like have, have a bunch of Call of Cthulhu people, uh, adventurers, uh, philosophers and flappers and uh, dilettantes too, uh, come across in the Dreamlands the Thum Ha after, f- have, I don't know, doing like a mini campaign against Deep Ones in Innsmith, like an escape Innsmith kind of thing, and then have them come across like the Thum Ha in the uh, dreamlands who are just like chilling like villains in like their watery area, just like hanging out. It's like, I don't know. How do they react? (laughs) And it's just going to end up being kind of like an uh, encounter where you're just like, how do you react to something that looks like this, but isn't this? I don't know. It's kind of lazy.
2: (laughs) Well, I I think that's good because, because, Sometimes players forget mm-hmm. that their characters don't know they haven't read all these stories. Yeah, and so I think it's sometimes good to throw something where their expectation expectations are you know are, are turned around there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Uh, possibly the uh, Thumha don't live in houses and don't drive uh, buses to and from Arkham. Maybe they are have the technology level of Neolithic people and, you know, worship Bakrug and just kind of scoot around lakes and stone pillars and whatnot and just kind of do their
2: thing. Yeah. Or, or, you know, what if, you know, their attack on their city by the uh, people of Sarnath, Mm -hmm. what if it makes sort of a rupture in the reality between here and the dreamland? Ooh. And then so you've got this Louisiana swamp, or you know New Jersey swamp, mm-hmm. or you know Chesapeake swamp, or whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's these eerie stone columns start appearing. Ooh. And it just it's slowly becoming, you know, the the new the new ib.
0: Ooh ooh oh man! I have a great idea for Delta Green. In Siberia, stone columns start appearing in like. Uh, southern Siberian swamps or, or like, uh, you know, just, like, just deep marshy areas, super, super isolated marshy areas, or frozen tundra, even, because uh, maybe something that's in the dreamlands uh, isn't in a uh, frozen waste, but in uh, the dreamlands it's, like, uh, swamps. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: or, or, whoa. Maybe maybe it's a swamp in the Dreamland, and then all of a sudden it's muddy in the desert.
0: Oh yeah, here. or or an oasis. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that idea. All right. Any 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 more ideas for uh, the people of Thumha and their their deity uh, Bakrug?
2: And that's really all that, that you know. I have really thought of. Yeah. But the one thing is. It's got potential. Oh yeah, people, you know. Oh yeah, that's the god of the ib. Well, well, there was only mentioned like in one story, and no one knows what it's doing now. So DM, DMs, GMs, you know. Go at it. Yeah. In, do whatever you want, and there's still some name recognition, sure, some, sure. some brand value.
0: Definitely. And something, one last thing I have to say is I can see how Bakrug doesn't get used because the illustrations of Bakrug in the book always have kind of like this, like uh, lizard with like tendrils underneath of its chin and like a mohawk or like spikes or something. Like
2: I always um...
0: thought it looked cool. I thought you know. I know, but I I, I think maybe you know it it. it might be a little bit cooler if it's more of like a lizard person, uh, you know, like like a giant lizard person, like Dagon and Hydra. Um, but then again,
2: no, a giant uh, frog person. Yeah, a
0: giant frog person. And uh, then again, though, like a big giant water lizard could just be symbology of like where this came that from.
2: All life flows from the ocean. And-
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: Although, also, one more suggestion for the people of Ib. Sure. So, you know, maybe they're, they're chill and they're not violent, mm-hmm. but they have, a, like, their backs glisten with uh, toxin and hallucinogens, like, like, you know, some of the real frogs, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so that when people attack them, they're not fighting back but they're 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 you know toxin splashes on them or something
0: Ooh, wow yeah no that could be something that the the people of ib have that uh deep ones don't because it's been like i don't know bred out over thousands of generations
2: or, or that's why the only, the, only the, the creatures of Ib Ooh, yeah. that had that mutation survived.
0: Ooh, I like that idea. I like that idea. There's a lot of cool things that you could do with people of Ib and thinking of amphibians and things that different amphibians can do or different lizards can do. Uh, same thing with Bakrug. Um who knows maybe Bakrug can spawn lizard people to defend him uh or her or however you want to think of Bakrug but yeah no you could do a lot of stuff with Bakrug just kind of focus on stuff that amphibians and, and can do I you
2: know how I just said one last thing oh yeah oh, one last thing yeah you know so what D&D character or creature um that reminds me uh, of Bakrug what's that is uh the bathless Oh, yeah. So, you know, maybe, maybe the people of Ib have got, you know, all of a sudden they've got like trained battleless dogs to protect them.
0: And maybe some, that's what some of those stone pillars are. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, uh, that, that seems like it's going to be it for D&D on D&D. And hey, that
2: seems like it's gonna be it
0: for this episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Dave, is there anything- It is,
2: I'm sad. I know, I am too. It's raining, the clouds are sad.
0: I know, I know.
2: But they they could go back and listen to it again, couldn't they?
0: Yes, they can. They can go back and listen to that, this episode, and any other episode that they've listened to in the past. And also our back catalog has an insane amount of books. In past episodes and past interviews. And we've got everyone from Rodney Anonymous of the Dead Milkman to people who you love and know, like Ken Hyde and Scott Glancy, and even people like Andrew Migliori. So, that was a dig it, Andrew. You're cool, dude. Uh, anyway, um, speaking of Andrew Migliori, uh, I'm gonna be at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival this weekend, October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Probably also gonna be at Stomp Tish Oktoberfest uh, over in Southeast Portland. So hey, if you hear this on Thursday, I'll probably be there on Friday or Saturday. And, and all, you're signing autographs? Uh, no, I'm just giving out high fives and stickers if I remember to hand out stickers if I remember to have. Socially
2: distant high fives only.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sci-fives is what I call them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just hold your hand up. And yeah, no. And thank you again for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that podcast cast stuff people ask you to do. And PGTTCM.com, check out our show notes. That's where you're going to find out what people are up to. It's where you're going to find t-shirts and all that other fun stuff. Dave, thank you again so much for helping out. Um, thank you again for talking to me about the Cthulhu mythos. And is there anything else you want to say before we leave?
2: No, we just want to thank uh, again, uh, Philip for his uh, awesome interview about LARPing. Yeah. And, you know, just... Uh Play this, song, play this loud in your house when you're not there, and it won't rain because the clouds will be happy. But then maybe you live in an area that's in a drought, and you want to make the clouds sad.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. Bye. That was a good episode. <laughs> Pretty good.